The blood will never lose its power. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? Now you can sing it, you can jump up and down, you can run around this church all you want to. But if you don't believe it, there's nothing for your life. There's nothing for you if you don't believe it. But I hope you do. Now, if you have your Bible, please open it to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. We started a new series last week in 1 Corinthians 15 called Rock the Truth. And the truth that we're going to rock is the resurrection. It's the resurrection. You see, there are some issues within the Corinthian church. Some denials, some uncertainties, some confusions about the resurrection. And Paul ministers to them in order to clear up those issues. He wants them to be able to rock the resurrection. He wants them to be able, you to be able to do the same. He said, what does it mean to, to rock the truth? What does it mean to rock the resurrection? First, it means you have to name it. And when you're naming it, we're talking about the whole truth. Because as I said last week, the resurrection is one slice of a larger truth. And that larger truth is the gospel. That's the larger truth. And the gospel is God's good news of salvation. It's not my good news. It's not the village church's good news. It's not the Presbyterian and the church's good news. It is God's good news of salvation. It is his bulletproof plan for creating peace between him and and sinful people. It's his way to restore a broken relationship with his creatures. Again, that's you. The gospel is the destroyer of sin and death. It is the satisfier of God's wrath. And it is the only platform you can stand on before him. There's no other platform you can stand on before God but the gospel. Because that platform is the finished work of Christ. His death, his life, his resurrection. And I reminded you last week of the gospel's role in your life. And today we're going to talk about the gospel facts. We're going to talk about gospel power. Gospel facts and gospel power. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 3. Man, I'm getting old. I guess I need a large print Bible here. <laughs> All right. Beginning in verse 3. For I delivered to you as first most importance, which I also received. That Christ died for our sins in according with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised in the third day in according with the scriptures. That he appeared to Cyphus, that's Peter, and to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to me, I mean to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but God's grace that is, in, that is within me. Whether, whether this was I or they, so we preached and you believed. Here's God's, this is God's holy word. Please pray with and for me. Father, I need your spirit to move. I need him to come and and just take control. And I just pray that 
the things that we do here, the singing, the confessions, and the preaching, the Lord, it would not, it would not fall onto dead hearts, but it would fall into hearts that are really humble before you. It is not just about having knowledge. It's about a relationship with our Creator. And so, Father, we, we, we come here, and, and we, some of us might not even want to be here, but we're here today. And for whatever reason that is, Lord, you need to meet us where we are and minister to us our doubts, our fears about the future. We need a word from you, Lord, to, that will help us go out and fight one more week into the world in which you call us to, to serve and, and to be um, missional in, in the places that you have called us to serve. So, Holy Spirit, I call upon you to move. I ask that you would do this and that Christ will receive the glory for it all. It is in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. The gospel has a role in your life. Again, we talked about this last week. First, it is to be received in faith. Second, you're to stand in the gospel truth forever. And third, you, you never outgrow your need for the gospel because you're being saved by it. And so those are the, that's the gospel role in your life. There are also gospel facts, facts that you must continue to hold on to. And these gospel facts cannot be abandoned, can't be downplayed. You, you can't water them down. You can't change. They, you can't gloss over them. These gospel facts are of first importance in your life. Top priority. Each fact is essential. They are inseparable. They're connected together like links in a chain. They come together. And you must be firmly rooted in those facts. They must be firmly rooted into your heart, soul, and mind. You must continue to hold fast to these gospel facts, to believe them, to trust them, to rest in them. But do you? And if you don't continue to believe in them, then your faith is in vain. So what does that mean, Pastor? Vain faith isn't saving faith. And vain faith isn't simply you struggling with doubts. It's you get to a place where you say, the gospel that you're telling me is a lie. It's you get to a place where I no longer believe the gospel. I no longer believe what the gospel teaches. That's vain faith. But these facts are true. And you must know them. You, repetition is necessary here. And repetition is powerful. It can be your friend. It can create good habits or bad habits. So we've got to repeat these gospel facts to ourselves all the time. And here in, section, in this section of 1 Corinthians, Paul repeats these gospel facts to the church in, in, in Corinth. He's already preached them before, but now he's reminding them of them. Why? Because we are forgetful people. We forget the gospel. We forget God's truth. We forget God loves us. We still don't even think God likes us. But he does. He does. He wants these believers in Corinth and even you to believe the facts of the gospel. He wants you to be able to name them and rock them in your life. He says to them, I delivered unto you of first importance what I also received. I delivered to you of first importance what I already received. And the message Bible says, the things, the first thing I did was place before you what was placed so emphatically before me. This is what Paul is saying. I'm not just a preacher and teacher of the gospel. I'm also a receiver of that same gospel. 
I also rest in that gospel. I'm also being saved by that same gospel. And so Paul accepts the gospel as truth in his own life. He knows the gospel facts for himself. He's standing in the gospel. That same gospel that he's calling them to remember, that same gospel that he also believes. And so he said, I delivered to you these things that were passed down to me. And they were given to Paul as truth, as authoritative. He said, I'm passing these things down to you. How many of you ever played a telephone game? Are you familiar with telephone games? Are Chinese whispers or rumors? All right, the game begins when people gather into a circle or a line. The first person whispers a message into the ear of the next person. And the message is supposed to be whispered all the way through the line or all within the circle until it gets to the last person. And then the last person is supposed to announce the message to the whole group. Now, the message is supposed to be passed around unaltered, not, uh, not embellished, and not misheard. So it's supposed to be the same all throughout the game. But what usually happens when the last person speaks? It's been altered. It's been changed. It's been embellished. It's been misheard. Not so with the message of the gospel. Not so with the truth of the gospel. The facts of the gospel passed down to Paul have not been altered, have not been embellished, and have not been misheard. The facts remain the same. The message of the gospel passed down to you is the same gospel that Paul is preaching right here. Unaltered. Unaltered. Think about that. Think about that. Let that rest into your hearts and minds. The same gospel that has been preached in the first century of our faith has been passed down for generations. The same gospel. Unaltered. Unaltered. The same gospel. But do you believe that gospel? The gospel facts are true. They are historical. And here's the thing. The gospel does not require you to have perfect understanding. It requires you to have faith in Jesus. Because if it's left on perfect understanding, ain't none of you ever going to come to faith. It requires faith in him. For the gospel's facts are facts about Jesus. The late Dr. Garner Taylor says, The gospel is ultimately a gospel of success. It's a different kind of success. It's success by the way of the cross. Success by way of the cross. The cross is the first gospel fact that Paul delivered to the Corinthians. For there's no good news apart from the cross. Please know that. There is no gospel good news apart from the cross. And not just any cross. There's one particular cross that rises above all others, okay? That's before it, with it, and after it. Because listen, Jesus was the only person that was crucified by the Romans. All crosses are not created equal. Some crosses are more equal than others. And it's not the cross, it's the individual nailed to the cross that makes it redemptive. It's the individual that makes it redemptive. And that's Jesus, a.k.a. the Christ, a.k.a. the Messiah. And Paul reiterates this truth that Christ died for our sins. That's a gospel fact. That's either a lie or it's true. 
Christ died for our sins. And his death was not just like any other death. It had a purpose. It was for a reason. I came across another quote online this week. It says, there were three thieves hanging on crosses at Calvary. One of them took away my sins. One of them took away my sins. Is that true of you? Is that true of you? Jesus made payment for your sin that on that tree. He didn't die a criminal. Okay? He was a sacrifice. A sacrifice. All your sins were nailed to that cross, past, present, future. He was your substitute. Because when you think about the cross, that was meant for you. It was meant for me. Again, that's either true or it's a, it should be turned into a Disney movie. It's either a fairy tale or is it true? That he was my substitute on the cross. It's truth. But do you really believe it? Does it make any type of impact in your life? The death of Christ, the cross of Christ is of first most importance. It happened. It's unaltered. It has not been embellished. It's not a fabrication. The cross is a gospel fact. And it's scriptural truth that you must believe in your life. That's what Paul tells us here in this verse. For I delivered to you as of first most importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Not in accordance with my opinion. Truth. As we know, all scriptures God breathed. And basically saying it's from God. But do you believe? The cross isn't man-made. It's not just some religious tradition. It's not something that Paul came up with. As he says in 1 Corinthians uh, 1.18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So what does that mean, Pastor? Whoever's not a believer will never understand the cross. That's what he means. They will always see it as folly if they are not Christians. They don't understand it. The cross is part of God's redemptive plan, but it's not the only part of the plan. There are other gospel facts. The grave and the resurrection are also gospel facts. Jesus did actually die on the cross. They didn't take him down later in a few hours and, and clean him up. He died. He died on that tree. And he was actually buried in a tomb. And he was there three days. And then he rose again. Now, it wasn't enough for him to die. I said this earlier in the service. It wasn't enough for him to die. He had to also rise from the grave in order to defeat the power of sin. Did you know the reason why the blood would never lose its power? It's because Jesus ain't in the grave anymore. Because if he was in the grave, guess what? It ain't got no power. We're just saying a whole bunch of lies. It has power because he defeated the grave. He rose again. Paul tells us in Romans 5.25, Jesus was delivered up for our transgressions, but he was raised up for our justification. He died for your sins, but he was raised up for your justification. So that means if he, ain't ra- if he didn't raise from the grave, you are lost, people. Dr. Taylor adds, the resurrection is the necessary conclusion to the crucifixion of Jesus. 
is a necessary conclusion. You see, a cross requires a resurrection, and a resurrection requires a cross. They both need each other. They are inseparable facts of the gospel. They are both needed, and both are true. Look with me in verse 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and raised on the third day, again, in accordance with the scriptures. Paul is building a case, a historical case, for the gospel facts that as believers, we must continue to believe and claim and name. The gospel is never going to change. Never. There's, no, there's nothing else that can be added to it. This is it. This, this is the constitution you can't alter. That's it. The resurrection of Christ is a supernatural historical event. Now, for some, that's heresy. Because how can, you, can you, how can you prove it? But it's true. Christian apologist Josh McDowell says, after spending more than 700 hours studying the subject and thoroughly investigating its foundation, I came to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is either one of the most wicked, vicious hoaxes ever dumped on humanity or its most important fact in history. It cannot be both. It's either a lie or it's the most important thing in all human history. Which is it? Of all the religions in the world, please know this. If our faith is Christians, if it's a lie, we are idiots. Please know that. Because no other faith makes the claims that Christianity makes. Okay? Know that. We don't, we're not making the same claims. We're saying our founder is God. We're saying our founder died on the cross. Then we're saying our founder rose again. And then we said he ascended to heaven. Now, what other religion makes those claims? None. So, either we are being deceived... Or we either we have the truth. There's no shades of gray here. This is black and white. Black and white. But now not everyone believes in the resurrection. Not everyone believes it's true. There are some, those who are in opposition to what we believe as Christians. There are movements, social media groups, who don't agree with what we agree with. Black Hebrew Israelites, another group, the historical Jesus movement, historical Jesus movement, Muslims and other atheist groups do not affirm or believe what we believe. And these, again, confusions and denials about Jesus and the resurrection aren't new. It's been going on since he rose again. And these denials and confusions will continue on when we're all in the grave. People struggle with this. There are Christians. Some of you may even struggle with it. How could someone be raised from the dead if they're dead? And Paul ministers to these struggles and denials in his church. It requires you to just simply have faith. You don't have to have perfect understanding of them. Just simply faith in Jesus. Paul continues to minister to them and giving them gospel facts. And there's one more fact that he mentions. And I, I was like, why is that a gospel fact? But he uses it as a gospel fact. And that is the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. The post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And so why is that important? Because 
Jesus was on the earth 40 days before he ascended into heaven. He just didn't resurrect and go off to glory and say, I'll see y'all later on the other side. There were eyewitnesses who saw him. He appeared to people. He appeared to men and he appeared to women. And these eyewitnesses can do what? They can testify to the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. They can give testimony about it. Look at verse 5. And then he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. That's what he's doing here. The power of God in the resurrection is true. And it's not an embellishment. Christ did rise from the grave. It's not a conspiracy to deceive the masses. It's not a false story that Jesus' disciples just made up. Think about that. Why would you make up a lie and then be and die for it? Most of these men were, cru- were martyred for the faith. Now, you got to be an idiot to, be, to die for something that's not true. I mean, I don't like Smokey on Friday. How do you get fired on your day off? <laughs> I mean, come on. Who would die for something that's not true? No one. It's unheard of. The, God, the resurrection is not a poor man's version of some pagan religions either. It's not. It's not a copycat. It's not a myth. It is truth. And we have eyewitnesses who can testify to that. Now, the Corinthians, they have something that we don't have. You see, there were some brothers still alive who actually saw the resurrected Jesus. And they can get, if they don't believe Paul, Paul is saying, if you don't believe me, then come all over to Jerusalem and I can let you sit down with these brothers and they can tell you it's true. So they can go talk to these people. Now, we don't have that luxury. What we have is their testimony. But do you believe it? Do you believe that eyewitness account that Jesus did resurrect from the grave? That he's no longer in the grave, but he did Resurrect, and he did visit other people. Again, the gospel facts don't require perfect understanding. It simply requires you to have faith in Jesus. But as Americans, we like to know everything. We like to know everything. We like everything to be quick. And, then, and if we can't understand it, then it must not be true. You can't approach the Bible that way. The Bible wasn't given so you can understand everything. It was given so you can understand one thing. You are a sinner, and God's, God's way of dealing with your sin is through Christ. That's the whole purpose of the Bible is written for. Redemption. How can I be made right with God? There you go. Open it and read it. That's what the Bible's for. Everything you need for godliness and salvation is spelled out in God's word. You don't worship a Savior who is still in the grave. You don't. You worship someone who rose again. His body did not decay. It didn't rot. It did not decompose. It is not there. As one gospel song says, death could not hold him down. How powerful is your Savior? How powerful your Jesus? He said, Dad, you better get off me. That's how powerful he is. 
It couldn't keep him down. He says, you're the risen king, seated in majesty. By your stripes you are healed. By his nail-pierced hands you are free. By his blood you have been washed clean. And you have the victory. The power of sin is broken. Jesus overcame it all. And he has won your freedom. He won freedom for all of you. Again, amen. That is the power of the cross, the power of God. And you, do you live a resurrected lifestyle or do you live as if Jesus is still in the grave? Do you live as if he's still in the grave? Or do you just, do you really believe he can bring resurrection to the brokenness in your life? Because Jesus is not in the grave. He's in heaven. And he can still bring resurrection to the most broken, darkest, hardest places in your life. But you got to believe it. you got to believe it. Because those gospel facts, there's also gospel power. Okay? There's gospel power that changes us. It doesn't just save us. It changes you throughout your life. And we have one example of that from, from Paul. The gospel has the power to convert and save the most wicked of people. Do you think the gospel can do that? It can save the most wicked person. It can. The most wicked person you know is still redeemable. Still redeemable. If God can redeem you, he can redeem anybody. We often think we're better than others, but you're not. The gospel is good news to all people. And it's not good news if you think you're already good. It's not good news if you think you're okay. I'm just okay, Pastor. I'm good. I'm gravy. It's not good if you're already righteous. If you're already holy. It's not good if you're trusting in your own morality. The gospel is good news to sinners. Unless y'all ain't sinners. Okay? It's good news to sinners. The self-righteous ones and the unrighteous ones. They both still sinners. And both those will send you to hell. The gospel is for broken people. It's for messy people. It's for the murderer. It's for the thief. It's for the drug dealer. It's for the drug user. It's for the person who cheats on her taxes. It's for the selfish person who doesn't love people. The gospel is for imperfect people like you and me and someone like Paul. Who was the first person to be martyred in the Bible? Stephen. And guess who was there watching while Stephen was being killed? Paul. He watched. He approved of it. Is is Paul a good person? I mean, he's he's basically saying, that brother is getting what he deserves. Arrogant about it. He persecuted the church. The same Paul you read about in all these epistles was one day would, 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 have, would have gladly saw you been stoned one day and laughed about it. That same Paul. Acts 2 says, Paul was ravaging the church. He would go into house after house, dragging out men and women and putting them in jail. That's the Apostle Paul. That's his life. His whole purpose was to destroy the church. He hated Christians. He hated those who claimed to be followers of Christ until Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus. And what happened? Irresistible grace happened. 
he was converted. He was converted. It converted this man who wanted to destroy the church. Now he brought him into the church. Paul knows that. Paul knew who he used to be, and he saw what God saved him from. He, kept, he lived with that all the rest of his life. He never forgot the place he came from. And guess what? That made him appreciate grace more. So it saved him from that and brought him to this. Our thing is we think we deserve it. We think we deserve God's favor. We think we deserve to go to heaven. We think we de- as Americans, we think we deserve it. everybody like us, even God. Get away. He don't like you just because you're an American. What you deserve, you don't get what you deserve. That's grace. And when you forget that, you begin to take things for granted. Don't forget what God redeemed you from. Paul says in himself, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Why is that, Paul? Because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace toward me is not in vain. What are you saying, Paul? I'm not who I used to be, is what he's saying. And God's grace Met me where I am, but didn't leave me there. That's what he's saying. I'm sorry, baby, if I made you cry. <laughs> okay? <laughs> I guess get passionate sometimes. Pastor, sorry. He says, on the contrary, I work harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but God's grace that is within me. Whether I or they, so we preached and you believe. That's what he's doing. But do you believe it? Paul was saved by this gospel, changed by it. He went from a persecutor of the church to a church planner. A church hater to a church lover. A hater of Jesus to a lover of Jesus. Paul, Jesus met Paul in his sin, but did not leave him there. He crucified the old Paul and brought more and more resurrection to Paul's life. That is the power of the gospel. That is the gospel at work in you. By God's grace, you are what you are. It's by his grace that you're going to be what you're going to be. The gospel continues to work in you. It continues to bring resurrection. So who are you? You're a child of God, a son or a daughter. Michael Heiser, he's he's a child of God. Michael uh, is a Christian with a past. I read an article this week about him uh, by Brittany Jenkins on the Gospel Correlation website. And she, she did an article about Michael's life. You see, Michael spent 20 years of his life going in and out of jail. For 20 years, that was his life. Get out, go back in. Get out, go back in. He lived a hard life. Bad things happened to him, and he did bad things. He said, I wasn't good at being a criminal. I got caught too much. And one of those times he got caught, he was facing 85 years in prison. 85. Now, he later took a plea deal, and then it got reduced to 15 years. And the only book that Michael could have in jail was the Bible. That's the only book that he was allowed to have. And so for eight months, he, he copied the book of Proverbs. That's all he did for eight months. Just caught right, just writing them over and over and over and over and over. 
eventually he came to faith in prison. He came to receive Jesus. And he got released on good behavior and only serving four years of the 15. But when he got out, he found out his newfound freedom brought more difficulty to his lives. How could that be true? How could that be true, Alex? Because it's hard for ex-offenders to integrate back into society. He couldn't get a job. He couldn't get good-paying jobs. And he says, no matter how much he changed, his past had not. Employers still define him by his worst moments. No matter how much Michael had changed, though his past had not, employers still define him by his worst moments. Because if, if, if those who have been in jail, you fill out an application, there's a little box that stares at you. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? Now, Michael had always had a decision to make. Do I lie or do I tell the truth? And he always told the truth. But he knew what that meant. He was not going to get that job. Because he was being defined by his past. But God doesn't define him that way. God doesn't define you that way. His worst moments now are opportunities for God's grace in his life to bring more resurrection to his life. Even though it's been hard, he, he, he's experiencing resurrection. Well, God has given him jobs. God has given him other jobs now. It's not the kind of jobs that he wants, but he's, he has work. And now he helps other felons to, to reintegrate into society. Listen to what Michael says. He says, I want to build my community so that my grandson has a place in it, not tempted by drugs and alcohol, but cultivated by God's love and mercy to all people, no matter their past. If only we could love people like that. Cultivated by God's love and his mercy to all people, no matter their past. The facts of the gospel is a reminder that God doesn't define you by your past or your worst moments. He defines you as one who's already been redeemed and one who he's bringing more resurrection into their life. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you that the gospel is a story that has never been changed. There will never be another story like the story of the gospel. The gospel is the one thing that's too good to be true and it's true. It's the one thing. It is too good to be true, but it's still true. And so my prayer for myself, my prayer for the congregation, that as they go back out into your creation, this is your creation, that you would give them what they need to be the people they need to be in the places where you have them living. Help them to know they don't serve a Savior who is still in the tomb. They serve one who is in heaven right now, still interceding on their behalf, a resurrected Savior. And I pray that you will help them live resurrected lives. It is in your name that I pray. Amen. Please stand as we close our service.